This morning we are coming to the conclusion of our money series, sermon series. It was a three-part series that was not so much looking at in-depth practicalities of how we spend money and how we save money, how we utilize wealth, but really what the role is of money and wealth in our lives as Christians. That's what we've been looking at. And so the first Sunday that we had this message, we looked at money uh, as individuals, how we employ the use of money, our wealth, as individuals, as Christians. And the takeaway from that Sunday was the fact that we are stewards of wealth, not owners of wealth. We are stewards of wealth, not owners. And I compared that to how Adam and Eve received the garden. They were not owners of that garden. They were stewards of that garden. And then we looked at, we looked at uh, Israel and King David. King David was the steward or the leader of Israel. He was not the owner of Israel. He was called to lead and steward that country. He was not called to own it in, uh, per se. Likewise, our finances are the same thing, is that we are stewards of our finances. We have been blessed with opportunity to earn money and to spend money, not for our own glory, but for the glory of God. And then last Sunday, we looked at money and the church, how money ought to be thought of in the corporate gathering. And we looked, at, at, we looked at many, many verses last week, but one in particular that we looked at was Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, and that is the passage that looks at how the church, as it was being birthed, gathered together, and they had, and here's the key, had all things in common. These brothers and sisters gathered together, and they sold all their possessions, and they had everything in common, as was needed. So no one in the church went without. No, there was no one in the church that was starving. There was no one in the church that went unclothed. Everyone in the church was on equal setting. Now there is argument that that is, a, that is the definition or that is an argument for socialism. And I would vehemently oppose that argument. And here's why. It was the decision of those Christians to do that, it was not enforcement by the government. The government did not make them sell their possessions and have everything in common. They decided as Christians to sell their things and to have everything in common for the good of the church. Now you may say, well, that is a, that, 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 that's a difference without really any meaning. And I would say that's all the meaning in the world. That's all the meaning in the world. You cannot be compelled by man to follow Christ. You can't. You cannot be compelled by man to have a Christ-like heart. That is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And so we come to, the conclusion, to that conclusion on our own with the guidance of the Holy Spirit indwelling us. And that leads us to today, where we are looking at money and global missions. Or let me put it this way, looking at money and the Great Commission. 
I think that's a better way of saying it. Because sometimes when we think of the Great Commission, oftentimes we think of just global missions, right? But the truth is the Great Commission can be performed right in your own household. Every time a parent shares the gospel with their young child, they are in part fulfilling the Great Commission. And so we land in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I read part of this passage last week, but we're going to look at it a little bit more closely today. And for today's message, the title is, For Your Sake, He Became Poor. So if you'd like to turn to chapter 8, we're going to read through this. I'm going to focus more on the second half of the passage, but we're going to look at the first half as well. And this is Paul's description of what was going on in Macedonia. Macedonia was a new church, and that church, because of certain afflictions in where it was, the region, it could have been because of certain circumstances that we are unaware of, this church was greatly impoverished. Yet we're going to find out something special about this church. Would you read with me here? We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, for in severe, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through, though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich." And in this matter I give you, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness as it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we pray that these words would fall on our hearts, Lord, and that they would enter our minds and our being, Lord, and that they would impress upon us the urgency of, of the mission that is laid before us, Father, in the Great Commission, that the gospel would go forth from these, from these walls, Lord, and that uh, people would come to know 
the uh, saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that we would realize that the wealth that we have blessed, been blessed with has been giving, given to us to steward for that cause. The wealth that we have been blessed with is not to be utilized primarily for material gain, for our glory, for our stature and status, but rather for the expansion of the kingdom throughout the world, Lord. Father, I pray that the gospel would be made known in every corner and that your glory would be revealed. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Don't really have any time today. We've got a lot of work to do and a lot of a lot of ground to cover this morning, so I don't have a lot of analogies or a lot of metaphors or stories, so we're just going to kind of break right into here. One thing that I want to do this morning is, as we come to the conclusion of this, I pray that you all would be challenged, and in fact, I'm going to issue a very specific challenge to us as a church uh, before we conclude, and that challenge uh, can be summarized by this, that we look as a corporate body of Christ at how we are using the blessings that God has given us for the furtherance of our king of, of his kingdom and not the comfort of our own. That's what I want us to be looking at. And whether that be looking at our individual budgets or that looks or we look at our corporate church budget, that we look and that we are really critical of how God is leading us to take part in the Great Commission. Now, I will say this, and I think that all of us can agree, is that through the COVID nightmare that it was, that God has been resoundingly merciful to this congregation. Resoundingly merciful to this congregation. Folks, when COVID started, we went from the sanctuary to this room because we had cut our number by almost two-thirds. Now we've gathered back some numbers. We still have not come back to full strength. I don't know if we will, at least while we are in this facility. But while churches around us who were much larger and had much more wealth, and I do put that in quotes, closed their doors for good. The Lord saw fit to sustain this congregation. Now, I don't believe that is by accident. And here's what I will say. If the Lord in His providence has chosen to keep the doors of this congregation open, we better not squander the opportunity. So now is a good time for us to reset, look at what we're doing, and consider the gospel precious in our sight and do everything that we can to make sure that it goes forth from these, from, from these walls here. And that may mean that we may have to make some tough decisions. And those are decisions that need to be made in committees and in groups and stuff like that, not on a Sunday morning. And folks, I will tell you this, I mean, this sermon's being recorded and there will probably be people other than just us listening to this sermon on podcast. But this message is specifically for us, Gospel Life. 
community church. All right? So let's break into here because as we look at the church in Macedonia, what we find is that the Lord blessed them with the grace to be doing something that they should not have been able to do. It says here, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now, Paul is writing this letter to the church at Corinth, and he is telling them that you all have been blessed by a church that should not have been able to bless you in the way that they have. He says, I want you to know about the grace that God has given you. This grace was given to the church at Macedonia. Now, oftentimes when we think of grace, we think of salvation. We think of our faith, and that would be correct. But grace can also be considered everything that God blesses us with. If you are alive this morning and breathing, that is by the grace of God. And far too many of us take that grace for granted. You might not even be out of your teens yet. And I can tell you right now that there are many teenagers this morning that did not wake up. They died in their sleep last night. But God, for some reason, for His glory, chose to wake you up. And that goes for every one of us. I do remember one story in particular. I believe I've shared this in here. It was a pastor who had a young daughter who had just been married. She was, I don't even believe she was 30 years old. The picture of health. And he shared one day that his daughter went to bed and she just didn't wake up the next morning. Just didn't wake up. And it turns out that she had had a brain aneurysm in her sleep. No symptoms, nothing. Just one morning, didn't wake up. As the word says, the Lord required of her her soul that night. So it is a grace that God allows us to breathe the air that we're breathing this morning. And likewise, it is a grace that you have been given an opportunity to have the wealth that you have. And what's really interesting is that what I think that we can say out of this passage here is that there are individuals that are wealthy beyond comprehension from a worldly perspective, but are impoverished to the very dirt from a spiritual perspective. Just because your bank account is filled, just because your house is filled with trinkets like Cracker Barrel, and just because your car has a full gas tank, now that's the measure of wealth today, all right, does not mean that you are wealthy. You might be impoverished spiritually. So it was a grace that was given to Macedonia. For it says in chapter, in verse 2, for in, severe, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So even in poverty, they were able 
to bless these churches, even in poverty. Now, when Paul speaks of poverty, he really means poverty. I've said this, and you all know this, but where we live, when we say someone is living in poverty in the United States, the truth is they are grossly well off from a from a worldly perspective. You put an impoverished person from the United States in almost any other country in the world, and they're at least middle class. You just take them up, pop them somewhere else, and they're middle class. Now, that does not erase the reality that where we live, they are impoverished. But the reality is, is that poverty is on a spectrum. But these individuals that Paul is speaking of are greatly impoverished. But even in their poverty and an abundance of joy, they are being generous with what God has given them. In verse 3 it says, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify. Now what does that mean? It means that this church gave to the other churches, to their brothers and sisters, gave in accordance to what others would have expected them to give. They gave in accordance to what others expected them to give. So if they had a budget, they gave within their means. But then if we follow it, it says, it says, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means. So what they did was they looked at their budget And they said, this is what we budgeted, but that's not enough. That's not enough. God has given us this money for the saints, for the kingdom. It is not for our own glory. It is not for our own comfort. It is so that people might come to know Christ. So they gave beyond their means of their own accord. That is important. That means that no one was forcing them to do this. It was of the grace that had been given to them. And verse 4 is so astounding. It says, begging us earnestly for the favor or the grace of taking part in the relief of the saints. Do you catch that? How often when we give, do we give begrudgingly? So it's Sunday morning, it's time to write out our tithe. I really don't need to be doing this this month. I got other things to do. I got a fishing trip I need to go on. I mean, I got to go on that fishing trip. I got this I got to do. Because remember what we said is that oftentimes our have-tos and our need-tos and our want-tos are all messed up, right? So if you ask a child, what do you have to do? It's probably going to be something more on the lines of what they want to do, right? Okay, but the truth is, is that that goes all the way to adults as well, okay? But in this case, they were begging to take part in the relief of the saints, 
They were begging to do it. They wanted so badly to help relieve the saints that they looked at their budget and they said, folks, we, we have budgeted for this, but we need to do more. And let us beg to be able to do this. We want to do this so badly. How many of us really are just begging, begging to do more for the kingdom? Folks, I'm going to tell you, I'm not begging that much. I'm just going to be brutally honest with you. I don't beg that much. Sure, I'll say, well, I really wish I could do more. But I'm not doing a whole lot of begging. They were begging to help relieve the saints. begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. They did not sacrifice their faith for this, but they fulfilled God's will for them by accomplishing this. And it says, accordingly, we urge Titus that he had started so he should complete among you this act of grace. What's Paul saying? He's like, complete this. They have given you this. Now you complete it. All right? You fulfill what has been asked of you. So some might look at this and say, they have given you these, this wealth in order to take care of the saints. Right? And I think that that's in part. So now complete the task. Use the money, steward the money that's been given to you out of their poverty to fulfill the, fulfill the goals of Christ. But I will also add to this, and I believe that this, I, I believe that we could say this as well, is carry on that same level of generosity. So you know exactly what I mean here when I say that you go to a uh, 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 you go through the drive-thru, right? You go through the drive-thru, and you get to the window, and they say, what do they say? Sue knows what they say. The person before you paid for your meal. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. The first thing I think of, I would have ordered more. All right? <laughs> I wish there had been some sort of light that would come on that says somebody paid for your meal before I order, right? Hey, folks, I'm playing, okay? That'd be rotten of me. But you get the idea, right? And so you go up there and you like, you bought, you, you bought a drink. And the person says, well, they paid for your meal. And so you think, well, I'm going to continue that. I'm going to pay for the person behind me. What is the person behind me? What did they order? They ordered for a family of 10 at Chick-fil-A. And they supersized everything. Well, you've already asked what that was, so you better get your credit card ready, right? But the idea is, is that you're continuing on this act of grace. Somebody here, somebody, actually, somebody not here today, somebody who came before you sacrificed to give you the opportunity to be sitting here today in this place. Somebody sacrificed for you to have this facility 
or just to be in this building. There are some, there's somebody who has sacrificed so that you would know the gospel of Jesus Christ and be blessed by it. What is it that prevents us from sacrificing likewise so that others would know that on? Paying it forward, if you will. And Paul says, see that you excel in this act of grace also. You see what Macedonia did? You do it likewise. Verse 8. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Now, what's Paul saying here? You've heard it said that you can tell someone's what the, what's most important to them by two things. One, what they spend their time on. And two, what they spend their money on. You give me anyone's budget and allow me to look at it, and I will be able to tell you what's most important to them. You give me somebody's budget of time, and I can tell you what's most important to them. And that's what Paul is saying here. I say this not as a command, to, but to prove by the earnestness of, of, of others that your love also is genuine. What he's saying is, you can tell the love that they have for Christ by the sacrifice that they are making for the sake of the kingdom. Is yours the same? Can, you, if, can it be said of you that your love for Christ is genuine? Or are we just kind of going through the ropes, right? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor. I'm going to pause for just a minute. I want you to hear, if you miss everything else I say today, I want you to listen to this, all right? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. This was the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That though He was rich, yet for your sake, for my sake, for our sake, He became poor. What does that mean? Christ, in His pre-incarnate state, He was with the Father. With the Father. He did not have any of the maladies that come from being human. He didn't have to deal with the sniffles. He didn't have to deal with dirty feet and really bad sunburns, dysentery, all that kind of stuff. And he certainly didn't have to deal with going to the cross. Though he was rich, for our sake, your sake, he became poor. What does that mean? It means that he became incarnate. 
Some, some words say, some phrases, uh, some uh, commentators will say it this way, that he condescended, that he condescended. He became less. He became poor. So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Now, that does not mean that your bank accounts would be overflowing with money. What that means is that you would be saved. If Christ had not condescended, become flesh, you would still be dead in your trespasses. Yet, through the blood of Jesus Christ, if you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, you are now the wealthiest of all people. There's a commentator that I read when I was studying for this passage, and here's what he said. He said, Christ became poor. Not just for his friends, not just for his family, but Christ became poor for his enemies. And then he compared it to a billionaire. How many billionaires would be willing to go from billionaire to impoverished for the sake of their family? Probably very few. What about for their friends? Fewer still. And what about for their enemies? Probably none. Probably none. And yet Christ gave up more than even that for our sake. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. He's saying, keep going, keep pressing on, and finish what you've started. And let generosity that has been demonstrated to you by the church of Macedonia be pictured of you as well. Demonstrate that same generosity. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness. Now that sounds wordy and that doesn't sound very exciting. That doesn't sound like it would have that much weight to it. But I want you to just pause for a minute and think about what Paul's saying. He is not saying that you should give to someone else just to lift them up for their own wealth's sake and for their own, for their own benefit. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying give so that others may be brought up to the same level of you because that's what's really fair. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is, we are aiming to share and spread the gospel. Your brothers and sisters in Christ 
are not able to feed themselves or clothe themselves. They are impoverished. It is likely that many of these Christians, when they claim to be Christians, their source of income was now removed from them. They have now been stripped of their wealth because of their claim to Christ. And now the only way they will survive is if the church will stand up for them. And so he says, give to them out of your abundance so that they may be lifted up. Why? Because you may need it at some point as well. He says, for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need. You see, your abundance at the present time will supply their need because there may be a time when you are in poverty. Remember what we said. Many of us are just one or two crises away from hitting rock bottom. Just one or two. And then in verse 15, the author Paul quotes from Exodus the story of the manna. And it says, as it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. If you all remember, Moses, the Lord through Moses, tells the people, that as this manna is falling, gather only what you need, do not hoard. Do not hoard what you have, do not hoard the manna. And there were some that obeyed, and they gathered exactly what was required of them, and they were perfectly, they had all that they needed. But there were some that were going to hoard. They took more than they needed, and what happened? It rotted. It rotted away. Far too many individuals are hoarding wealth for their own glory. And folks, that wealth is going to rot away. When they say you cannot take it with you, it is absolutely true. Think of all the different cultures that bury their dead, that bury their dead with money and fancy pots and all these expensive things, right? If you look at, the, there's a, a really cool documentary on uh, the Disney Channel. It's actually through National Geographic, and it's looking at Egypt and these archaeologists that are going into the tombs and finding these mummies. And when they go in there, they'll find this tomb and they'll find the the sarcophagus where the money the mummy is and around that mummy there are all of these these like material items these pots gold all these this stuff of wealth that was around them so that they would have it with them in the afterlife what i always find it to be i just find this to be odd is that now thousands of years later when the archaeologist goes in there and they find the mummy, what do they find? They find the mummy, and they also find the material wealth. Why? Because they can't take it with them, folks. It's rotting there. 
It's wasting away much like the physical body of that mummy. Just like the manna that had been hoarded. How many of us are hoarding wealth instead of using it for the kingdom? Now you might say, you can look at my bank account. It is not very full. And I would say, does your house look like Cracker Barrel? And you know exactly what I mean by that. All right? Stuff everywhere, right? Have you Now, here's the thing, okay? How many, yeah, I, I, people are looking at one another now. Okay, now here's the funny thing, okay? Here, here's the funny thing. You really don't know how much stuff you have until when. You move. You move from one house to the other, and then what do you discover? Oh my gosh, I got so much junk. Every, I just got stuff everywhere. Now, as Paul and Peggy did this on purpose. They knew what I was going to be preaching about this morning. They did not. This is called God's providence. You see this back, these back tables here? This is stuff that we have accumulated. By the way, some of that stuff in there I took off there is mine. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, there's stuff back here that is accumulated. We don't need, we're giving this away if it doesn't go, right? We're just giving it away. We're not selling it. We're just giving it away. So please take it. It'd be less that we have to give it, you know, to, to, yeah, they don't want to have to transport it, and I, and I don't either. But you get the idea, right? There you go. <laughs> but the idea is, is that every one of us probably could fill tables with stuff that's in our house that we just bought over and over and over, right? I was going through my stuff the other day looking for something specific, and I found 10 things I didn't know that I had, which means I probably didn't need it. My former pastor, I, I love this, my former pastor told a story one time that once a year, I believe this is how it goes, and if he hears this, he may call me and say I'm dead wrong, but that's okay. Once a year, he would go through the house, usually through the closet, not just his closet, but the closets, and find stuff that hadn't been used in that previous year and get rid of it and get rid of it and he would tend to do this when his wife was away and lo and behold when she got back home where's my stuff right because you've heard if you had not needed it in the previous year you probably don't need it at all right how many of us have that? I mean, we just hoard stuff. We just keep stuff. Now, here's the truth. Here's the truth. While we are hoarding, people are dying. Now, that may sound overly dramatic, but that's just the truth. The reason why the Macedonians gave money that they didn't have to Christians who were impoverished is because in order for those individuals to go out and share the gospel, they needed to eat. 
they needed to be clothed. And so these churches gave to their brothers and sisters who were suffering so that they might have in abundance what they needed to do to go out and fulfill the Great Commission. And the reality of our world is this, is that in order to do ministry, it takes money. That's the reality of it, okay? Yes, you can share the gospel for free. Absolutely. Amen. And we should be doing that. But if we want to see people come to Christ across the world, that requires money. That requires some level of wealth to be able to accomplish that goal. Because the way individuals are coming to Christ is by individuals, by groups, going out and planting churches, raising churches, and then those churches going out from there and sharing the gospel. And so here's what I want to challenge us to do in this coming year. Now, you're saying it's July. It's almost August, right? We do our budget at the end of the year for the next year. What I want us to do as a church, now this is where the real practical, the rubber meets the road issue, okay? I want us in the coming year, and as we're planning for this budget, to look very critically at our budget at this church and see how we're spending our money. Because here's the thing, is that as we are spending our money on comfort, people are dying and going to hell. Now, Debbie, I want our air conditioning to work. I want our air conditioning to work. But in reality... In reality, that's a comfort. I want our lights to be on. But it was proven while I was in Haiti that people can worship without electricity. Because the electricity goes off in that city every day at the same time. You know what the churches do? They worship in the dark. It can be done. I'm not saying we, I, we should pay our electric bill. We should pay, pay for our air conditioning. We need to do that, okay? My point, though, is this, is that while we are paying for comfort, there are other individuals that have none, yet the ministry is still going forward. And so if we are willing to pay for our comfort, but not for the gospel, then that says something about us. So I want us to look critically at our budget moving forward. And here's what I would say, and you might say, okay, well, that's for the church. Now we're going to get real personal. If the church is looking corporately at our church budget, that money does, Donna did not go out and plant money trees in the backyard that I'm aware of, okay? You didn't do that, right? Money's not growing on those trees. So we individually, I'm asking is look at our personal budgets and see where, see where money is going. Is our money going? Is money going to comforts that are really just kind of flaky? You know what I mean, folks. I have five services to watch TV. Five. I have one just to watch Yellowstone. Peacock just for Yellowstone. That's it. It's 10 bucks a month. That's $120 a year. 
That's a lot of money. I know you can get it free, but you only get the office for five seasons. Okay? I mean, you got to have all the seasons. You get where I'm going, folks. Let's look. I'm not trying to get into your business, but I am. Let's be critical about our own budgets and about what we're spending money on. Because people are literally dying and going to hell. And there are far too many individuals out there that need the gospel, but not enough people to go out and do it. And our missionaries need money too. So here's what I want to challenge us with. I want us to pick one thing, one thing in this coming year, one thing that we as a church are going to invest in this year locally. I, we tried this before, right before COVID hit. And we got it started, and then all of a sudden the plague hit, and we kind of had to stop stuff, right? And we were getting involved in stuff. We were in the senior adult homes and things like this. I get that, okay? COVID hit, but now COVID, yeah, it's still around, but we got to move on, okay? So let's pick one thing as a church that we are going to invest in time and money so that people would know Jesus Christ. If we need to make cuts to do it, then let's make cuts, Okay? And then second of all, let's pick one ministry that we can serve, either in time or in finances, that is taking the gospel globally. That might be orphanages in Haiti. That might be church building in Romania. I don't know. And at this point in time, I don't care as long as the gospel of Jesus Christ is reaching the ends of the earth. We may have 30 people on a good day on a Sunday morning, but we can still do that much because we can give according to our means and then by God's grace, we can give beyond our means, just like the church in Macedonia. And that goes for us corporately and that goes for us individually. And maybe you say, well, I'm on a fixed budget. I get it. There are many of us in here today that are on a fixed income. All I'm asking you to do is look and be critical. Do I really need that? Because the church at Macedonia was begging for opportunities to give while I'm watching Peacock. I like Peacock. I like the shows on Peacock. do I want to spread the gospel more? Let's pray. Father, help us be more critical of our budgets, of our finances, of our wealth, as we look forward to seeing how you are going to bless us in the coming year, Father. Help us to bless others and help us to commit ourselves to giving generously and with joy for the cause of Christ. Father, I pray that as we give, that you would use it so that people would know Jesus, so people would come to faith in Christ. Lord, help us to sacrifice Help us to sacrifice. Help us to 
Help us to desire to give more, to find ways to give more. And as you bless us with more, help us to have the desire to give even more. Lord, we love you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.